Good morning. My name is Terry Plath, and I'm one of the elders here at Christ Redeemer Church. Uh, Pastors Brett and Levi are out of town at a conference this weekend, and Pastor Thomas is on sabbatical. So uh, I'm thankful for this opportunity to bring God's Word to you this morning. It's funny, I was thinking on the way over here, uh, when I was a sophomore in high school, uh, I got asked to dress for the varsity basketball games. Uh, I wasn't particularly good. It was just a very small school, so don't be too impressed by that. But there were a couple of us that would sit at the end of the bench, um, and we were the last guys to receive our varsity uniforms. So, of course, my shorts were like two sizes too big, my jersey falling off. And my prayer was always that I wouldn't actually get into a game because I was afraid my, you know, I might lose my, my uh, outfit. But uh, we used to um, pass Snickers bars back and forth. That was kind of the, the little game that we'd have one of our buddies bring us a Snicker bar so we could eat while we were sitting on the bench. And I just remember there was one game where I'd just taken a bite of my Snicker bar and all of a sudden coach looks down the bench, Plath, you're in! Uh, that's a little bit the way I feel today, so... Pastor Brett, look down the bench, Blaff, you're in. All right, here I am. So, that's the, uh, that's the uh, background on this whole thing. But let's, let's go ahead and pray and just ask that the Lord would bless us during this time. Heavenly Father, really feel like um, the, uh, uh, the, the cracked vessel that, that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, Lord, I uh, don't feel that I've got anything particularly special to say, but Lord, it's the light of Christ, the Holy Spirit within me, Lord, that I just pray would, would shine forth uh, and show through, and I, I just ask, Lord, that uh, anything that would not be of you would just pass uh, from the, the audience here, but, but those things that you want them to hear, Lord, that they would just go deep into, into, into everyone's heart. We, we pray for your Holy Spirit's presence here that he would tune our hearts, uh, Lord, to hear your word, uh, and that that word would, uh, would stick and, and would result in changed lives here. So we lift this, this time up to you this morning and uh, pray that you would be honored and glorified and that our joy would be made complete through this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you would, open your Bibles with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. Um, And even though our text is just verses 8 through 11, I'm going to read verses 1 through 17 because I want to make sure we've got the whole context here of what we're going to talk about today. So again, Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God and am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes my name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, your daughter, your male, uh, I'm sorry, uh, your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. 
Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord is giving to you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Amen. So I'm sure most of you are familiar with the Ten Commandments. You know, before we dive into the particular text for today, which is, uh, as I mentioned, verses 8 through 11, otherwise known as the Fourth Commandment, I'd like to just step back and get a feel for the historical context as well as the, the purpose and applicability of these Ten Commandments, both at that time but also for us today. Uh, now, the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament law as a, as a subject could probably take half a year, if you wanted to, to preach through it. Uh, so I obviously don't have that time. So I'm just going to do a, a, a very quick flyover. And this is kind of rocky terrain, because anytime you start talking about the law, it can be misapplied. So I'm just going to ask that you hang with me, and uh, we will ultimately land this, uh, this, this aircraft after flying over that terrain. And just pray that the Lord will have clarified anything that may be unclear uh, as we move through this. So um, from a timeline perspective, we're now at Mount Sinai. Moses has just taken these Ten Commandments down and taken them to the Israelites. About 650 years prior to that, um, Abraham is living in the land of Ur of the Chaldeans, and he is the first person that hears the call of God. Um, and uh, first Israelite, I should say. And uh, 150 or so years later, roughly 500 years before Sinai, his great-grandson Joseph is sold into slavery uh, into Egypt. And I think we're all probably familiar with that story. About 40 or 50 years later, uh, Jacob, Joseph's father, and all his brothers end up coming to Egypt, being welcomed there by Joseph and Pharaoh. And along with them come about 70 people uh, the Bible says in, uh, in Genesis 46. So Israelites come as 70 into Egypt. And you may recall that at that time, Pharaoh then gave Joseph and Jacob and the family uh, a very nice piece of land called Goshen, a very fruitful land. And after a, a period of prosperity, they, they had great success there, and they really grew in number a subsequent pharaoh, don't know exactly how far down the line, uh, decided that they had gotten too powerful, and he put them under slavery. So um, about 300 or more uh, of these years as slaves pass to the Egyptians, 430 years total since Jacob and family came to Israel. Uh, now we find ourselves at Mount Sinai, and, and, and in the course of this, about three months prior, actually, God has miraculously uh, freed his chosen people from this slavery uh, through the plagues, the Passover, and then the Exodus um, crossing the parted Red Sea. Uh, so this nation of 70 has now grown, we believe, to around 2 million based on the timeline and uh, estimates that, that are made. So a big group of people. So now picture this. You've got two million people under the constant hand of Egyptian taskmasters, slave masters, for 300 years, suddenly freed and wandering the desert. And 
Jake, if you'll put the first slide up, following this man Moses, who alone at that time has this inside track or relationship to God. I mean, a lot of the Israelites have lost any connection to God, and now all of a sudden they're following this man Moses, who supposedly has some insights from, uh, from God. There is, there is really no relationship that they have, uh, at least nothing personal. And it must have been pretty chaotic. Uh, no longer any slave masters to control their behavior. No real norms or laws as a people to guide them. Uh, and, and, and the sinful heart of man very quickly shows itself, as you'll see on the next picture here, uh, artist's rendition of what happened there, uh, in that grumbling, complaining, and then, and then now at Sinai, while Moses is up receiving the law, the Ten Commandments, from God Almighty himself, You've got the Israelites down, uh, building a uh, golden calf, having a major party, and indulging in all kinds of sinful behavior. So you can kind of understand that there's this lack of any sort of guidance for this this people. And this is the context into which then God gives his Ten Commandments, um, which is also known as the Mosaic or Moral Law. So there were numerous purposes for the Mosaic Law, but a few of them are clear and uh, I think are important for us to remember here as we dive into the Sabbath topic. First off, the law was intended for the good of God's followers. Uh, These Ten Commandments are really foundational to having a functioning society. If you read through each one of them, they all make sense. I mean, uh, it's all something I think we can all agree with. Um, Without some sort of standard of morality, or attempt, uh, you know, to, to adhere to a standard of morality, there cannot be a functioning society of people. So this is, you know, the number one purpose. Uh, number two, according to Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, everything in the law can really be boiled down to two commands. One is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. And the most important thing for us to remember about this Mosaic Law is that uh, none of us can perfectly obey it, or even the two commandments that Jesus laid out. It's impossible. We cannot do it. We are too sinful, all of us. Um, In fact, Jesus even took it up a notch because you had Pharisees in Jesus' time who actually thought that they were doing a pretty good job of keeping these Ten Commandments. And he raised the bar by saying, hey, it's not just the outward actions. It's the inward thoughts and intentions of your heart that are subject to these Ten Commandments. And in Matthew chapter 5, he tells the Pharisees that even if a man is angry with his brother or calls him a fool, he's guilty of murder in his heart and is subject to the, hell, uh, of the fire of hell uh, for breaking the Sixth Commandment, which is, thou shalt not murder. Likewise, if he looks at a woman with lustful intent in his heart, he's breaking the Seventh Commandment. You shall not commit adultery. And all these things commit and condemn us to hell, rightfully, by a holy God. Now, included also in the Mosaic Law are ordinances and the worship and sacrificial system that the Israelites lived under. And this was all to atone for their sin. Later in the books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, God introduces further laws known as the Levitical Law that get into a lot of detail. If any of you have read through that, you know uh, what a heavy, oppressive thing that must have been to live under all of these rules and regulations. But God was using that as a way to set the nation of Israel apart from the pagan people around them so that he could ultimately bring forth his Messiah, Jesus Christ. And we know that that was successful. For 3,500 years or more, the Israelites, now known as Jews or, or the Israelis, 
have maintained uh, their lineage uh, in, in an amazing way that n- no other people group has. And this was all God's intent through his law. So it was under this massive weight of the law which Israel was living that the Savior or Messiah, Jesus, came to rescue. And I think, you know, it's important for us all to feel the weight of the law upon us. This should be the mirror into which we look to see whether or not we are truly living up to God's standards. So when we assess our actions and our thoughts, our lives against the law, we should feel some level of despair. But the good news, Galatians 3.24 tells us that the law was just a guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Hebrews 9.22 talks about how this is possible. It says, indeed, the Mosaic law, almost under the Mosaic law, almost everything is purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And Jesus was that perfect, spotless, sacrificial lamb, once and for all, came that and shed his blood, died, was resurrected. And he once and for all fulfilled the law perfectly for those of us who could not. And so... Um, It's only by faith that we need to put our trust in him, and we receive that covering. So let's just start with that as our foundation for this whole message about uh, obeying the Sabbath. Um, We live under grace today. There's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the life we now live by by grace, we live in Jesus. 2 Peter 1.3 says that God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. So this is now a life of relationship, not rules. It's a life of relationship that we have, a connection we now have to the God, our creator of the universe, uh, through his son. We've been brought near to him, and that is excellent news. There's no longer this life of rules. It is guided by God's given Holy Spirit, which is deposited within each of us, believers of Jesus, to where we are actually able to say no to sin and yes to righteousness out of this heart of gratitude and out of the power of the Holy Spirit. He broke the chains of sin. Jesus, um, in the Bible, says that because he himself was tempted in every way, yet was without sin, he's able to help those who are tempted to say no. So, just to wrap this up, the overview of the law and its purpose, as we look at the Ten Commandments, we see both uh, God's heart in the things that are important to observe and obey in loving him and loving our neighbor, but that love is not conditional on our obedience to these laws. That's already settled at the cross. So through this purifying power of God's grace, our response is now to glorify God and to lead to our absolute joy by obedience. And we are restored to be what God originally designed us to be. So with that as a backdrop, this backdrop of grace in the gospel, let's, let's talk about the fourth commandment. You know, there's an old Northwoods tale uh, about two lumberjacks. Uh, one was a young whippersnapper, strong, fast, and cocky, cocky as can be. This is before the days of chainsaws, by the way. The other, an older gentleman, was legendary among, among lumberjacks. He had a weathered face, strong yet diminishing body. His ego had been smoothed by years of 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 wisdom of life and the young man one day decided to challenge this legend to a tree cutting contest eight hours of chopping and the one with the most trees felled would be declared the winner so the contest started and the young man gave it all he had 
Eight hours straight of chopping without a single break. It was amazing to watch. Unbelievable to see a guy work that hard. By the end of the day, he had cut down 18 trees and was certain that the old man could never come close to beating him because there was no way he could have worked as long or as hard as he did. So he walked over to the old man's area of the woods to find 25 trees down. 25 trees? How's that possible, he said. I saw you sitting down at least three times while I was chopping. Ah, said the old lumberjack, you caught me sitting. Odds were pretty good of that because I sit ten minutes every hour I chop. Son, let me share a little secret with you. There are two things I do when I sit. I rest and I sharpen my axe. The young lumberjack walked away, humbled and a little embarrassed. So we are finite beings like this old lumberjack had realized. I mean, we have a limited supply of energy. We have a limited supply of time. We have a limited supply of strength. And even though in modern-day America we like to live as if we don't, the, the truth remains that we do. We are limited. And beyond the physical, we're even more limited with our spiritual strength. I mean, there's nothing we can conjure up within ourselves to make ourselves spiritually whole or good or connected to Jesus. To, to, to the Lord. We are dependent on him for rest. And so we live at this time where the limits of, of our, our finiteness are, are, are stretched between the demands of work and family and activities outside the home and everything else going on in our lives. Uh, we are somewhere between full and overflowing. Um, we're overscheduled. We're tense. We're addicted to hurry. We're frantic, fatigued, and starved for time cramming as much as possible into our uh, to-do lists. We battle to make the best use of every spare minute we have. Do you feel that? I feel it. I feel it in my life. There's a great book by a a Christian doctor named Richard Swenson called Margin, Restoring Emotional, Physical, Financial, and Time Reserves to Our Overloaded Lives. And he, He puts it this way. The conditions of modern day living devour margin in our lives. If you are homeless, we direct you to a shelter. If you're penniless, we offer you food stamps. If you're breathless, we connect the oxygen. But if you are marginless, we just give you yet one more thing to do. So this concept of having margin in our lives is one that is increasingly lost, I think. So I would just ask, are you feeling overwhelmed in your life, stressed, unsettled in your soul? My hope is not to give you one more thing to do today. My hope and my call today is a call to rest, a call to rest in Christ, and a call to do that through a regular observance of the Sabbath. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, uh, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The bottom line is we cannot keep our spiritual axes or our physical axes or our mental axes sharp without availing ourselves to God's created given means for that sharpening, and that is spending time with God uh, and resting uh, in the Sabbath. Let's read our text one more time. Uh, I'm going to put it up on the screen so we can all read it together. Um, to make it a little easier for everyone to follow. So here we go. Let's read it together. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So let's just start by understanding the definition of this word Sabbath. It's an English uh, translation of the Hebrew word Shabbat, which comes from the root. There are three letters in this Hebrew word, Sheen, Beit, and Tav. Together, it means to cease or to end or to rest. It doesn't necessarily mean to rest on Saturday. It doesn't mean to rest on Sunday. There's no connection here necessarily to a day of the week. It just means to rest in God. So it's interesting to note, too, that Sabbath is, rested in God, is rooted I'm sorry, in God's creation account. If we take a look at, uh, Galatia, or, I'm sorry, at Genesis 2, uh, 1 through 3, uh, this is the, the passage that, Je- uh, that Exodus 20, uh, 11 points back to. It says the, this, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God rest, finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the Sabbath day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work he had done in creation. Now, I would just ask, did God need to rest? I think we know the answer to that. He didn't need to rest. Uh, Psalm 121.4, for example, says that he who keeps Israel neither rests nor slumbers. He neither sleeps nor slumbers. We don't, our God does not need rest. So clearly he had another purpose here. And uh, I think this is the foundation for Sabbath. Uh, clearly it is. His, his rest or his break was... I think, number one, to enjoy and admire the creation that he had just made. I mean, pretty amazing what he had just done through the word of his mouth. But it was also, I believe, to set an example for us. Um, If the God of the universe who never sleeps or slumbers needs to take a day to rest and enjoy himself and his creation, how much more should we? The fact that God observed the first Sabbath rest at the time of creation is also instructive from a timing perspective because it it was before sin came. This isn't something that God put on as a result of sin. This was before sin. And this example and exhortation to spend a day a week resting and enjoying God and his creation and his people didn't come as a result of sin. It was part of the original intended rhythm of life that God had for his creation. And we can assume Adam and Eve adopted that as well. So it would stand to reason then that any of these forces of busyness or indifference toward the Sabbath that we might feel today, even um, at times, you know, uh, uh, criticism of, you know, we don't want to be too legalistic in doing this, I think those things come actually from Satan. I think he wants to prevent us from enjoying God in this way. And so I think we really, really need to guard against that. Uh, I think the enemy would like to keep us very, very busy so we have no time to connect with with God. So as I read the Ten Commandments, I'm often convicted about this fourth commandment. I mean, the others uh, feel really important to me, and, and I nod my head as I read through the other nine. It all makes sense to me. 
I want to obey them. I, I don't want to bow down to idols. I don't want to have any other gods. I don't want to murder physically or in my heart. I don't want to betray the amazing marriage that God has blessed me with. But for whatever reason, remembering the Sabbath has kind of always been a little bit of a throwaway for me. Could it be that Satan sees my or our enjoyment and experience of the Sabbath rest as a great threat to him? I think he does. So I began to read several books about six months ago on this topic by reputable, solid Bible teachers. One is a book called The Rest of God, Restoring Your Soul by Restoring Sabbath, uh, which is by a pastor named Mark Buchanan. It's a very good, engaging read, pretty light, but... um, Highly recommend it if, if you're looking for something on this topic. Uh, the other one is uh, called Call the Sabbath a Delight by an, a gentleman named Walter Chantry. Uh, that's another good one. It's a little shorter, um, but very to the point, and um, he makes a very good case uh, for us enjoying the Sabbath, that it is created for us to enjoy. So as I've read through these books, I've come to see that perhaps the greatest benefit of the Sabbath is really to slow me down and to remind me that I am not the master of my own life. I'm not the captain of my soul, and I'm not the one solely responsible for the outcome of everything in my life. I get very prideful in my job, in my family life, my yard. I mean, just like thinking this is all my, my doing. And it is really good to pause and be reminded that uh, it's, it's really much more God than it is me. So... God is the master and very good provider of all the things we need to live. Now, just back to the Israelites. Imagine, you know, this command now coming down to them after having 300 years of probably being forced to labor seven days a week under, you know, very oppressive hand, hard work. Um, I imagine it was pretty refreshing to hear that they're going to get a day of rest. Um, but I also think there's probably a little bit of a challenge there. I mean, after this 300 years of being in a rhythm of working every day, it could result in maybe some guilt, feeling like we should be doing something today. What, you know, how can we sit around and do nothing? Um, and I think that's kind of the same itch that we all feel if, if we actually take time and, and don't do anything on Sunday. I mean, that's, uh, or Saturday or, or whichever day we decide. But it's, it's hard to do for, for those who are especially for those of us who are workaholics. I would just say further, as this large group of people wandering through the desert with very little provision, they had to feel like somehow, like, we've got to get out and get some food here. Like, how are we going to live if we're not, like, going after it? And we don't have time to sit around uh, in the desert and wait for a day. So think, you know, all of these dilemmas that I'm sure they experienced and thought of. But, you know, God proved his faithfulness in these situations, um, like the provision of manna and quail that he provided actually just a few chapters before this in Exodus, where um, he told them, hey, you know, gather on the sixth day, two days worth, because you're not going to be gathering on the seventh day. And, I mean, even then they had, they had challenges obeying that command. Um, but that is great proof for us that our lives will not fall apart. God will honor. If we honor his command, he will honor by making sure we have everything we need and more. And we just need to actually test them out on that. I really appreciate the modern-day examples of companies like Chick-fil-A and, and Hobby Lobby, um, which, based on their convictions of Sabbath rest, they choose to remain closed one day a week for the benefit both for their founders but also for their, all their employees, and I think ultimately for their customers. Um, and despite you know the societal pressures that I'm sure they feel 
Um, shareholders, you know, uh, they're, they're both privately held, so they don't have shareholder pressure, but seven you know, days a week, they could be making more profit by working, being open another day. And I have to admit, there have been more than one time where I've pulled up to a dark Chick-fil-A and thought, ah, it's Sunday. So wished perhaps that they weren't quite so faithful to the fourth commandment, but hey, that's how it goes. Um, Martin Luther described the fourth commandment in this way. He said, um, so the spiritual rest, which God especially intends for this commandment, is that we not only cease from our labor and trade, but much more that we let God alone work in us and that in all our powers we do uh, what we do nothing of our own. So there's not only this resting, but there's a spiritual element to this. God needs to be the center of this day of rest. Uh, so another important you know, uh, component or purpose of the Sabbath is connecting and resharpening our spiritual acts with God. And Jesus said these things about the topic. Uh, number one from Mark 2.27. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So what he's saying is this was not a day that I set aside to, to see how good you are at obeying me. It was a day I set aside for your blessing. This is for you. It's for you to enjoy. And he also said in, in Matthew twelve eight and Luke 6, 5, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So we know from this that our, our Sabbath orientation is supposed to be toward Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. So, you know, clearly under Christ, he still has, I believe, a great purpose for us in observing the Sabbath. It hasn't just faded away into Old Testament history. Um, But rather in keeping it with the right heart and motives, we honor Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, and we are refreshed. The writer of Hebrews confirms this in Hebrews 4, 9 through 12. And he makes an interesting connection here, actually, to the Word of God. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And here the writer is referring back to disobedience that the Israelites had in, uh, in, in Old Testament times. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged, any two-edged sword, and piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So I hope, you know, through all of this, I've kind of built the case that I think Sabbath is still applicable to us, and the fourth commandment still applies. And it's still a blessing to those of us who are modern-day descendants of Abraham through our faith in Jesus. Before I get into the final part of the message on, so how do we go about doing this, I just want to address... um, one issue that I think has been the most destructive and has probably been used most often to derail God's people from enjoying the blessing of Sabbath. And this issue is legalism, whereby well-meaning people, including Christians, would try to either maintain the law or lay some new law over the observation of Sabbath for those of us who are in Christ. And there are really two areas where this legalism has been most damaging in the history of church of the church, and I think continues to be today. And those are the areas of when to observe the Sabbath and how to observe the Sabbath. And I think it's important for us to realize there is freedom there now, and we'll talk about that a little bit. So first, let's just discuss the when of freedom. The question comes, must I observe it on the seventh day? Should I be a Saturday Sabbath observer? 
The fourth commandment says seventh day. Genesis 2 says seventh day. So must I do that? And our response, I think, as a, as a church and, and as a group of elders would be the pattern that we see in the early church was a shift away from this shadow observance of Sabbath that was done on Saturday to an observance on Sunday, which is the first day of the week. I think, you know, to Jewish believers in Jesus, to meet for worship and the word with fellow believers on the first day of the week was both an important kind of affirmation and reminder of Jesus' resurrection on the first day, his victory over sin, which, you know, you think about it, that was the pinnacle of world history. I mean, it really was. That was, uh, we look back to that, everything from the Old Testament look forward to that, so observing it on the, on the same day makes, makes some sense. But it also, I think, signaled an unshackling a little bit from what the seventh day had become under Jewish law. So in addition to what was given here in Genesis, you had the Talmud, which was the rabbinical teachings, which had loaded a bunch of other regulations. Don't, you know, thing, do's and don'ts around the Sabbath that you were supposed to obey. And I think the weight of that probably stole a lot of joy. And so at any rate, we've got verses, passages such as Acts 20, verse 7, that refers to this first day celebration on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread. Paul talked to them, intending to depart the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. And likewise, uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 2 said, Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so also you also are to do. On the first day of each week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. So these are some evidences that we see in the New Testament of this change in tradition. And ultimately, the beauty of it is you can observe on the seventh day if that's your conviction. The key here is that there's freedom now. If you work the first day of the week, perhaps the seventh or the second are better days for you, and that's fine. Uh, because of grace, we have freedom in the whens of observing Sabbath. Yeah, in Colossians 2.16, Paul, who's a former Pharisee himself, was very rigid, I'm sure, in his observation of the seventh-day Sabbath, said this, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So here Paul is trying to get people out of this legalistic mindset, trying to actually unify the Jewish and the Gentile believers to say, you know, we don't need to observe it exactly as it has traditionally been observed in the Old Testament. Romans 4, uh, 14, 5 through 6, another passage where Paul is addressing legalism, says, says this. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his mind, in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So this whole passage is talking about us being very generous and gracious toward one another in our convictions that are not core essentials of the Christian faith. Um, St. Augustine is attributed with the sayings uh, that is, in the essentials, there should be unity. In the non-essentials, there should be charity. And in all things, there, there's got to be magnanimity or, or love. Um, so there's, there's conformity in the, in the basics of Christianity, but in these other areas, we have to give ourselves a lot, of, a lot of grace to one another. 
So then the second legalistic stumbling block is the how, the how to observe Sabbath. And as I was preparing this message, I thought of the Little House on the Prairie books. For those of you who have read them, Little House in the Big Woods, you may remember the story of how the Ingalls family observed Sabbath and how Laura had a really hard time sitting still on Sundays and not being able to go out and run around. And finally it reaches a boiling point where she shouts out at dinner one Sunday night, I hate Sundays! because she can't sit still. And Paul was very kind and, and uh, shared with her stories about how her, his grandfather observed Sabbath, where they had to sit very still on a bench. All they could read was the catechism or the Bible from lunchtime till sundown. And, uh, you know, I just think of that and I think, boy, you know, that's, that's good. Uh, I, I think it would be good for me probably to sit and just read the catechism and the Bible all afternoon. But I'm not sure that was God's intent. And, and again, we've got freedom. So I, 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 even in, in criticizing their observation of the Sabbath, I'm kind of being judgmental and, and God's telling us not to do that. But also know that you know, those types of observations are, uh, of the Sabbath are not required. It's not a requirement. So um, here's the bottom line. We have freedom in how we observe the day. Jesus pushed back against the Pharisees' strict definition of the Sabbath uh, in Matthew 12, uh, he was addressing the fact that his disciples had been plucking some grain on Sabbath from the fields because they were hungry, needed something to eat. And the Pharisees came and started wagging their fingers at him. And he basically said, this is when he said, the, the Sabbath is not made, the, the man is not made for Sabbath, but Sabbath for man. He wanted the Pharisees and all of us to understand that it is not about earning God's favor or man's favor through the following of rules. That's not what it is. So, given that we have freedom in how we observe it, let me just throw out some ideas. Uh, I recently read a book um, that was handed to me uh, by Bobby Emerson. Thank you, Bobby. Uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Uh, it's a book Pastor Brett has read. I actually read it on his sabbatical, and I know it was very helpful for him too. But in this book, uh, the author, Peter, Peter Scazzaro, suggests a four-step approach to obeying the Sabbath. And he submits in this book that part of being an emotionally healthy Christian is observing the Sabbath, both once a week, but also he talks about even little mini-Sabbaths throughout our day so that we can make sure our lives are integrated, spiritual, and our, and our secular lives stay integrated. But at any rate, let's, let's just talk about these steps real quick. The first step is to stop. That's the word to remember, stop. Just stop. Stop striving. Stop working. Stop worrying. Go into your Sunday or whichever day it is you're going to observe with the groundwork laid to just stop. So you may have to plan ahead a little bit. But what you'll find is that when we trust God and obey his commandments, he will provide. It's, it's not always easy. Um, because remember, you know, we have an enemy who wants us to do the opposite of what God tells us to do. But, but Jesus will take our loaves and fishes, as meager as they are, and he'll miraculously and invisibly multiply them. So we can trust him enough to stop. The second step is to rest. And this might look different to each of us, and it might look different from week to week. But it, um, it might be a, a long walk in nature. It might be an extended nap. Uh, for me, I have a conviction that I need to unplug from my devices. Um, so that I won't be tempted to check my work email or my texts or whatnot. I need to just relax and rest and enjoy being with my family and friends and, and, uh, and you all. 
So step three, then, is to delight. Take time to, to delight in what you've been given. This is a great opportunity for us to recount the many blessings that we have in our lives, which I feel like I don't do nearly enough of. I'm constantly looking at what's not right in my life and not thanking God for all the, the good things that we have. So pay attention to the good food that you're eating. Spend time admiring God's creation. Delight in the people that God has put in your life. Slow down. Have conversations with family, friends. Go out and see if you can chat with your neighbors. Um, come, come to church service and fellowship here. Just remember that Jesus also made it clear that acts of love and of service to others are not prohibited on the Sabbath. That's not included in this definition of work. Uh, I would just say one caution, though. So for those of you who are servants at heart and are given of yourselves day in and day out, God may be calling you actually to stop serving and, and to rest because uh, the service can be too much. Uh, I just think of Mary, the story of Mary and Martha and the need to sit at Jesus' feet that Mary obeyed. Martha had a hard time with. All right, and the fourth step is to contemplate. So pondering the love of God really remains the central focus and purpose of Sabbath. If we do the other three, but we don't connect with God in a meaningful way, it's, it's going to leave us short. We may sharpen our axe a little bit physically, but spiritually we're going to remain dull and we're going to remain vulnerable. So the idea here is that we don't treat the day just as a day of rest or recreation, but a day of rest and recreation with Christ at the center of it. So let me just repeat those four steps again. Stop, rest, delight, contemplate. And remember that there's freedom in how and, and, and when this is done. And maybe you've got a different rhythm that you like to follow. I just like guidelines like this. It helps me. So let me just pause here and ask, do you now see that while the form of how we obey Sabbath and maybe the motives behind Sabbath may have changed a bit, the substance is not? Well, I hope that you find this motivating and even convicting that you are missing out on significant strength and blessing from God if you're not taking time to commune with him for an extended period on a Sabbath day of your choosing. And I just really want to encourage us to be a body of believers who together are celebrating the Sabbath well because I think we will reap benefits both individually but as a, as a, as a body of believers and I think even in seeing things happen in and through us in the community if we are uh, regularly recharging uh, in the Lord. So let me just close with this. Make a plan to sharpen your spiritual acts. I'd, I'd ask that if you feel any sort of conviction on this, that today you make a decision that you're going to do Sabbath on a particular day of the week that works for you for the next several months. Just give it a try. If it doesn't work for you, that's, that's fine, but I would just ask, give it a try. Uh, I've been doing this uh, since the beginning of this year uh, to some level of success, not ours, but I already can feel the benefit from it. What's interesting is it does cause me, Thursday, I'm already thinking about what do I have to get done in order to make sure that Sunday is just like clear of everything, especially yard work for me in the summer. I, I used to push my lawn mowing to Sunday a lot if I had a Saturday that was really busy. And I've just decided I'm not going to mow today. That's my conviction. It doesn't have to be yours. But, um, you know, so last week I did it on Monday, actually. And, and uh, I've, I've really been trying hard to get it fit in on Saturday. And it's amazing how when you've got that commitment made, God will make the room for those things to happen. So, Christ Redeemer Church, I just say, let's remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Let's bow our heads in prayer. 
Father, we know that you want only what is good for us, and you are for us. You're not against us. If we are in Christ, Lord, we are made new in you, and we are no longer under any condemnation of the law. And so it's in that, in that heart, Lord, that I just pray you would help us, Lord. Help us to apply this in a way that honors you, that sharpens us, that, that, that draws us closer to you in relationship, Lord, and, and that allows your spirit to work more powerfully in and through us, Lord, both um, to give us a greater love for you and a greater love for our neighbor. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.